We're going to continue in our, our series in Ecclesiastes. As a couple of weeks ago, um, Ian reminded us, we've, we've gone over the, the hump of Ecclesiastes. We've gone past the, the first part, the disappointing quest, the reality of, of living in this broken world and all the, all the despair that comes from that, looking for meaning, looking for lasting change and lasting value in ourselves and in our actions. And now we're heading down the home straight what uh, Ian described as the invincible hope this more practical direction for life and for living this wise living that not only points us to to better decisions but fills out some of the structures behind a wise transformed life a life transformed by the gospel so we're going to dive into the first part of Ecclesiastes 11 together this afternoon And we're going to look at the call to be generous or to be risky. But risky is too sort of, could be taken badly or goodly. So we're going with generous, but with this sort of element of take a risk. It's what Ecclesiastes 11 calls us to. So if you want to turn back to Ecclesiastes 11, page 678 in the Church Bibles. And we're going to look at what I've entitled Wisdom for Life. So we're just going to dive straight in, straight into the text and try and piece together what the the preacher is saying to his listeners and and to us. So look again down at at verses 1 and 2. He he gives us two calls, two positive, do something. Okay, so here we go. Ship your grain across the sea. After many days you may receive a return. And then invest in seven ventures. Yes, in eight, you do not know what disaster may come upon the land. So what are the two? Are we awake? Two calls, two, two doing words. They are ship. Thanks, Sam. Anybody else awake? Ship and invest. So two proactive, do something words, okay? So verse one, we might sum up by saying this. He says, play the long game. Play the long game. The, the words, this picture that he, he paints for us is of throwing out bread or grain. The word's could be the same one, okay? Throw it out onto the water. Throw it out onto the sea. And it's a bit weird. Because if you throw water out onto the sea, uh, sorry, not water, throw grain or bread out onto the sea, it just floats there, soaks up a bit of water, gets grotty and useless, and what's the point? But what he's saying is this. He says, throw it out. Throw it away from yourself, because not for immediate returns but for a future investment. After many days you may receive a return. So play the long game. That's where he starts. Now look at verse 2. This is less of a picture, more of an investment strategy. We could call this one, sum it up, don't put all your eggs in one basket. So he says, invest in seven ventures. Yes, in eight. How many of you ever watched the show The Million Pound Drop? few years old now do you remember so they would have a million pounds in in cash in a big case and then they'd ask a series of of multiple choice questions and I can't can't remember what it was 10 or or, or whatever and for every question you had to decide how much of the cash you were going to put on each option so if you were sure okay so you know absolutely really easy question to start you're sure of the answer you just took it all on one okay and then you, you you lock in your answer and then they reveal the answer three buckets each of the multiple choice 
And only the right answer, the bucket stays as it was. The other two, the bottom drops out and the money disappears and you lose it. A million pound drop. And the, the questions get harder. You've got this decision to make. How much of my money am I going to put in each one? And especially when you get to the point of, I've literally got no idea what the answer to this question is. I'm going to go 33% in here, 33% in here, 33% in here. I'm going to guarantee myself 33%. I don't think the preacher has ever seen the million pound drop. But that's what he's going after here, an investment strategy. Don't put all your eggs in one basket because, well, you don't know what's going to, you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. You don't know what disaster may come upon the land. Now think yourself of a farmer. What crops am I going to grow? And certain crops grow better with different types of weather. And if you go all in on one, okay, maybe you've played Settlers of Catan. Some, some of us at board game, you go all in on the ore or the wheat and then the dice never rolls your number you're stuffed or if it rains too much and a certain type of crop's just going to die or it rains too little and another type of crop just won't ever grow he's saying invest in seven more than seven even eight he's saying seven's a great amount but you could go even further diversify don't put all your eggs in one basket play the long game because you do not know what tomorrow has come. So we've come across that theme, haven't we? The uncertainty of the future that the preacher is bringing to bear on his listeners and on us. Who knows what tomorrow is going to bring? Actually, the only thing we do know is we're all going to die. He's just bringing that to bear on life. And specifically, it seems to be there's some, you know, a, a businessman he's talking to here. But we know the Bible talks to not just a particular type of people, to all type of people. We all have decisions to make about where we're going to invest our time and our money and our effort. And he's saying, be sensible. He's saying, if you're playing Monopoly, don't just go all out for Mayfair and Park Lane. Nobody ever wins that way. Have a bit of this. Get Old Kent Road. Cheap, great, always good for grabbing people as they've just passed go. They've always got a bit of cash grab a couple of stations maybe Piccadilly maybe if you're feeling really lucky Oxford Street Regent Street (coughs) spread it out because we don't know the future we don't know what tomorrow will bring and here's where the 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 preacher goes now in verses 3 through to to, to 5 and even into 6 he's going to paint some pictures for us to help us understand how we are to live, wise living. And I've, I've grouped them together okay, under three headings. Okay? So you'll see them there on the handout if you've, if you've got that. Common sense, faith, not fear, risk is right. Okay? So here's the first picture, common sense. This is basically what he says. We get how the world works. Look at verse 3. The clouds are full of water, they pour rain on the earth dark clouds gonna rain or he says whether a tree falls to the south or to the north maybe there's a tree in your garden and it's you're just like it's gonna fall over at some point now you don't know whether it's gonna go that way or this way but whichever way it falls it ain't moving it's gonna lie there you ain't gonna move it easily we as people observe the world don't we we know how it generally works 
So some of us have got kids and we take our kids to school in the morning and we know that there are certain routes you don't take at half eight in the morning. There are certain places that no matter how early you arrive, you ain't ever going to be able to park there. Or we know that there are certain times that it's good to go shopping and you're going to get those reduced bargains. And there are other times where you don't want to go shopping because it's going to be absolutely rammed. You're going to spend 15 minutes just queuing to get to the, to the checkout. We observe the world and we know how it generally works. This is the book of Proverbs. Look, this is, normally speaking, how the world works. So generally you plant in the spring and then you reap a harvest in the autumn. Generally speaking, you're going to mow your lawn more times in the summer than you are in the winter. Common sense. Watch and see and act accordingly. Because the world works the same way 99% of the time. So common sense, that's the first picture. Second one, then, is faith, not fear. Look down at verse 4, because this is where he, he changes it up a little bit. Verse 4 says, Whoever watches the wind will not plant, whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. That's a bit weird because he's just talked about, well, when you see that the clouds are, are full, it's going to rain. And you've got to be looking at the clouds to, to observe that. But now he says, he paints this picture, maybe of a, a farmer, let's call her Nellie, okay? Because she's a bit of a nervous Nellie. She sat on a tractor and she's looking up at the sky. And she's looking at the crowds, clouds. Is it going to rain? Uh, maybe maybe uh, maybe I won't plant today she sat on a tractor the next day sticks a finger in the air bit of a breeze is that coming from the north northeast uh, if it's coming that way uh, this is maybe not a good time to, to plant that other crop she's just looking and waiting and never doing preacher's saying there's a an unknownness and i know that's not a word and yet it seems to to grasp up there's something about but but maybe today's the day that that doesn't happen maybe there's a better day and nervous nelly just sits and waits and not yet right today no maybe not and she's ruled by fear fear that oh, if I take this step then I might be wrong and things might not work out of course we, we have reason don't we sometimes things don't work out okay for a certain generation here I could put up a picture of a man called Michael Fish okay <laughs> if you don't know who Michael Fish is ask somebody who's older than you okay a weatherman who once famously, foolishly, completely got the weather report wrong. YouTube it, okay? <laughs> but the preacher is, is not commending Nervous Nelly. He's bringing this as a, as a parameter to, to our knowledge. To say, don't go over here. Don't be that person who's always thinking but never doing don't be that farmer who never plants and never reaps. 
It's literally what he says, isn't it? Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. Because if you don't plant and you don't reap, you won't eat. And you won't prosper. And you won't flourish. You won't have a satisfaction in life that, that the preacher knows is available. It's the person who never says hello to somebody else for fear of, of getting that introduction wrong. It's a boy who fancies a girl but never gets up the courage to talk to her. And just sits and thinks, oh, she's lovely. But never talks to her, let alone marries her. Don't be a nervous Nelly. Even with, look at, look at verse 5. Here's where he goes with this, okay? There's this warning, this parameter. He says in verse 5, As you do not know the path of the wind... Or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. He says, there are some things we just don't know. Even given common sense and all that we do know, there are some things we, we don't. We don't know which way the wind will blow. Hello, Michael Fish. We can't always predict the weather accurately, even with all our, you know, all our technology and all the, you know, the satellites and all that. You know, English cricket still gets rained off every summer because we can't predict the weather all that accurately. We don't know which way the wind will blow, even in our society, let alone a couple of thousand years ago or more. And he says, you don't know how a baby... The body is formed in a mother's womb. Or literally he's talking about how, how life comes into a, a baby. So we know that there's a, well you see a, a pregnant lady. We know there's a, a little human growing in there. But how does that clump of cells coming together and growing as normal humans do, how does it become this unique individual person? How does this this, this pregnant clump this bump how does it become somebody who is utterly unique utterly distinct from the other 7 billion people who are on this planet not even thinking about all the rest of the billions of people that have lived on this planet to have utterly unique DNA to have an utterly unique character this is you don't know and you can't ever know. You cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. He says you don't know and you're not supposed to know. I think that's what he's saying to us here. There are some things, as smart as we are and as well taught as we are, we just are never going to know. Because we are not the maker of all things. We are people who have been made. We are creatures, not creators. He says, you're not designed to play video games with the cheat codes. Okay? This might not resonate with everybody, I understand. If you've ever played a video game and, and got the cheat codes, and suddenly you can do everything without improving, you play a game with guns, and suddenly you have all the guns with unlimited ammo, and well, you might be able to complete the game, but it doesn't work like it's supposed to. You don't improve. You don't get better. It doesn't bring the same satisfaction. It doesn't bring the same progress in skill. 
ultimately doesn't bring any enjoyment. And he's saying, you're not God. You don't know everything and you're not supposed to know everything. And you're not supposed to live in a way which says, I can know everything and therefore I can make perfect decisions. He says, know your limits. Wise living in this world means knowing your limits. Know what you do know and know what you don't know. So he says, know your limits and then embrace your limits. Look at verse 6, we've got another doing word. So, so we've had cast, invest, now we get so. Three really positive actions. He's circling back around. He's finishing his argument. He says, be positive, be productive, be proactive. Get on and do something. Be generous. Be risky. So that's the third thing. Third subheading we've got there. Risk is right. Look how he finishes up in verse 6. Sow your seed in the morning, and in the evening let your hands not be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. He says, you don't know the outcome. You do not know for certain what will happen. So again, go back to the farmer. As he sows his seed. And he thinks, people talking about this is generally going to be a good year weather-wise. A good amount of rain, but not too much rain. And so he sows his seed. But he's got no idea that cancer might strike his family. And so he won't be able to tend the ground. So even though he sees some, and he can use his common sense... He just doesn't know everything. Some things will succeed. Some things will fail. Some things will be equal. So he says, get on and do something. And he seems to suggest here, like a fulsome. Not just do one thing, but do two. Sow your seed in the morning and at evening let your hands not be idle. There's, I think there's some idea here of go out to your work, whatever your work is, and and do something be generous be risky and then come home and and be committed to something else be all in use your time wisely says risk is right saying even though some things will fail it's still worth doing let me pause there let me pause there and just say, so what? Because you could stick these verses into a book and give it out. And apart from the reference to the God, the maker of all things, you could just go, you know what, this is just good, sound advice for living, for business. The Bible is full of good advice. You may have never read any of the Bible or all of the Bible let me tell you the Bible's full of good advice on on parenting it's full of good advice on relationships on on friendship and marriage it's full of good advice for living well in a society where people treat and care for each other and so we could come to the Bible this afternoon and go yeah this is this is good this is interesting yeah I could take some of this on board and become a better person 
And we might come to this and say, yeah, Bible's pretty sound, pretty good. I could, I could use a bit of that. And sometimes we don't see that as 21st century people living in Britain, we don't see this as being spectacular because we live in a society that is imbibed Bible qualities into its culture. Our society is, is saturated by a biblical worldview. This things that we see as common sense. We see because our society over hundreds of years has said, generally speaking, God knows better than we do. And so even by default, you might have grown up in a home where there, there is no Christianity, no love or, for the Bible, or, or maybe no Bible at all. And yet you'll still come to bits of the Bible and go, yeah, that, that makes sense. It's good. But remember that the Bible, I think it's good for us to remember, the Bible speaks into to all cultures the truths of God. So some of the things the Bible says, we would go, yeah, of course. And other cultures would go, that's unbelievable. That is outrageous. It speaks of the equality of men and women into societies where women are seen and treated as second-class citizens. It speaks of the value of every human life into societies where there are formal or informal caste systems, where some people are born into the bottom of the pile and told to believe that, that is, that's who they are. That they are, by default, less important, less valuable, less human even than other people. And the Bible speaks into that and says every human life is sacred because every human is made in the image of God. And, and if you're in that society, you go, wow, that's literally turning my world upside down. Because all I've ever been taught is that there are people at the bottom, people at the second bottom, people in the middle, and, and so on and so forth. So I want to say to us this afternoon that the Bible is not just a wise book. Or even a particularly wise book amongst many. The Bible claims for itself that this is the very word of God. This is God speaking truth to the original readers and hearers and, and to us today. And underpinning this good wisdom, and I think it is generally good wisdom, is a real person. The God of the universe, the, the maker of all things. The God who has made everything that we see and everything that we don't see. And he's a good God who cares for people like you and people like me. A God who sees and cares about a broken world and broken people. A God who sees our rejection of him and of his truth. Who sees it and feels it. And responds to it. The God who, as we were thinking about earlier, has this great and awesome plan of salvation. To rescue people. To join them to Jesus. Or to unite them to Christ. And so we don't want, just want to stop here and just go, yes, it's interesting. Yeah, you know what, if I'm setting up a business, I could take some of this on board. We want to say God is speaking through this passage to us 
and playing into that great big structure that's underneath all of the Bible, that there is a God and that there are people who are naturally enemies of God. And there is a God who has reached down into this world through the person of his son to change and transform us. So lead us into our second point, the generosity of Jesus. We started our, our time together, Nick read from Romans 6. The gift of God in Jesus Christ is eternal life. Jesus is the gift of God. He is God's generosity towards undeserving sinners, enemies who have rejected him. But Jesus is not only the gift of God, but he also shows us what, the gener- what generosity in this life looks like. Jesus The man, the God-man, fully God and fully man. And so that's why we read from from Luke 17 earlier. We see Jesus showing us what generosity is. And so these ten lepers come up and they approach Jesus and they've got this disease which makes them unclean, unable to go and worship God in the temple. Their lives are, are ruined by their health. Both socially, they can't work, they can't worship They are outsiders, rejects because of this disease. And Jesus has the power to do something about it. And we read the story, and he heals all ten, but only one. Only one comes back to to thank him. Only one responds to to the generosity of Jesus with with an apt, a right response. But Jesus shows that generosity to to all ten. He's Jesus. He surely could have said, you nine, not worth it. Come on, son. I'll take you aside. I'll, I'll just heal the one. But he shows this generosity. He risks the rejection of the nine for the sake of the, the one. In the same way as Jesus calls disciples to himself. He calls twelve, doesn't he? Twelve close friends who follow him for for three years, seeing his ministry, taking part in his ministry. And Jesus is aware that one will betray him, Judas Iscariot. It's not that Jesus knows everything and therefore takes a course, which means that everything works out perfectly. Jesus is obedient to the Father, but he takes actions, he takes what we might call risks he shows generosity to to all people and some throw it back in his face and sometimes the response seems to be so negative you think jesus what what a waste and yet he is obedient to the father he perfectly fulfills the will of god and he counts the cost jesus is not immune from the the hit of being rejected he feels it he feels the sting of sin and yet he continues to to give to be proactive to invest to cast to to sow it's Jesus Paul tells us who teaches us that it is more blessed to give than to receive And so, it comes to us.
in light of the generosity, the kindness, the grace that God has shown to us, we are called to be people who are generous. Be generous. To be that proactive, risk-taking people. So let's look at our final point. Gospel generosity. As a people who have trusted in Jesus, who have been transformed by the work of his spirit, what do our lives look like? What does Ecclesiastes 11 point us towards? Well, it says, in the light of our ignorance. John Piper, an author from the States, wrote a book called Don't Waste Your Life. And one of the chapters in it is called Risk is Right. Okay, I stole that, not original. And in that, he talks about why we have risk. Why we as people have risk. And he says we have risk because because there is ignorance we don't know how things will turn out we don't know what will happen tomorrow if we follow God's call on our life to be a people who shine forth with the light of the gospel to be a people who who sow you know it's that, that last verse 6 sow your seed in the morning when we come to, to Jesus and we listen to the word of Jesus what does he say sowing is for us Mark 4 he tells a parable about a man who goes out and spreads seed and some fall, falls amongst the thorns some falls on the path some falls where the birds eat it up and, and some falls on the good soil and Jesus explains that parable to his disciples and he says this, he says, this is what you're called to 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 sow not seed but the word you are to we are to be people as christians who go and tell other people about jesus to to cast out the seed of the gospel to say into this world there is something that has happened which changes everything about who you are and about where you're going that there is a god and a God who loves you and cares for you and who recognises your life and sees that you are somebody who has rejected him, who by nature turns from him, who rejects his goodness, who claims the credit for yourself. There is a God who is just and right and who will punish all who reject him. There is hell, but there is Jesus. There is a God, this God who made all things who will judge the living and the dead has stepped down into this world for the sake of people like us who will take your sin upon himself and bear your punishment so that you need not bear it he will give you eternal life if you will trust in him he will give you a life where you can flourish and be satisfied where you can have joy even in the worst of circumstances where your future is secure forever and ever this is good news that we are called to spread out to the world a world that is turned in on itself a world full of people who are just like us and to say God has reached down and given you the opportunity for life eternal life we as a church have that call that great commission of jesus to go out into all the world and and to make jesus known so as we take out that gospel seed we do it with with common sense 
recognising that there are times to talk to people and, and times to not. That there are people who are morning people and there are people who are evening people. And if you try and talk to a morning person, all you're going to get is, uh, uh, coffee, uh. you know? It's just common sense. If you know somebody like that, you're not going to choose the morning to say, can I tell you about Jesus? <clears throat> you know, some people, common sense. But there are times to speak and times to listen. But as we take out the gospel seed, we do so with faith, not fear. Maybe this is where some of us are at. We're so fearful of making a wrong step with the unbelievers that God has placed around us. Maybe it's a neighbour and we just think, if I just get this wrong, if I, if I mention Jesus too soon, that's it, we're done. And so we're waiting for that perfect occasion. I'm not quite sure what we think that perfect occasion looks like. But we're just always waiting, just looking at the clouds. No, not today. We could be nervous, Nellies, when it comes to sharing Jesus with those that we love. And Ecclesiastes 11 calls us, the preacher calls us to, to be doers and to not be fearful. Because sometimes, and Jesus takes this up, sometimes we're going to cast the seed of the gospel out and people, it's, it's just going to get eaten up by the birds. And that's okay. God doesn't look at that and go, wish I'd picked somebody else for the task. No, Jesus himself knew the reality of his ministry. Read John 6 in the end. What happens is Jesus tells them that he is the bread of life. What's the end of that chapter? Many walked away. Many walked away. Jesus turns to the twelve. Are you going to? Are you going to? Everybody else has gone. Knowing what we don't know. Knowing that we've got no way of understanding or predicting who will, who will accept the message. We're called to, to take it out. And to know that risk is right. We're going to take out the message of Jesus to our friends, our neighbours. The people that we interact with through work or through uh, you know, our children's school or, or through the people that we happen to walk by on the street. We're called to, to go and share this message. And yeah, some people are going to go, that's nuts. You're mental. And some people initially will say that. And then maybe in five or ten years' time, when life happens, they're going to go, that person said something. We're called to, to be generous. Throw it out. Cast it. And as a church, we want to be that sort of church. As we look out over our town, our area, we want to be people that say we want to take risks for the sake of the gospel. Fifteen months ago, Libby and I moved back up here with the, the hope, the aim of, of seeing a church planted in, in the Durham Valley, in the north of Rotherham. Some of you know that. Some of that's news to you. If we do plant a church, you know what? It might fail. We might start a church and then it go nowhere. 
We don't know. We don't know what God will do. But we know we are called to do. To cast, to sow. We know that, given all things being equal, the people of the Durham Valley, the people of Worth and Swinton, are far more likely to be reached with the good news of Jesus if there is a church that proclaims Jesus in that community. And so we're thinking of planting a church. And it's risky. As we stand here this afternoon, that's a church plant that will cost money that REC doesn't have. It'll take people that it feels as though REC doesn't yet have. It'll take people moving into the Durham Valley. It's risky and it's costly. And we don't know what will happen. But we, individually but corporately, are called to be doers, to be generous. Even not knowing what tomorrow will bring. But we do know, don't we, that we're not here for ourselves. That God has not saved us so that we can then just have a, a comfortable life. We do know that this life is not all that there is. We should know that by now from Ecclesiastes. We do know that for every believer in Jesus, this world is only the beginning. That there is eternity ahead of us. And eternity with the King, with Jesus. Knowing and basking in and delighting in all of his goodness to live in a world where Jesus' will is done where everybody recognises him and believes in him and delights in him and we also know that for all those who are not in Jesus who are not joined to Jesus eternity is hell and so we want to be a church that is generous with the gospel because we've been given so much and now we're called to give it out let's pray Father we even as we pray now we want to pray in the light of your goodness your grace shown to us in Jesus we can never answer the question why would God set his love upon us for we know our hearts and we know how often even now as people who know you how often we are turned from you how often we are self-centered self-focused Father, how often we want to grab everything into ourselves. Forgive us for that. And Lord, produce in us a spirit of generosity. In light of what we do know and in light of what we don't. Let us be a church that sows the seed of the gospel. In the morning. And that our hands are not idle in the evening that we give ourselves to your work in the spheres that you have placed us in our streets, in our families in our workplaces, in our schools and we pray Lord that, that we would see fruit and we pray that Jesus would be glorified in us 
as we seek to be obedient to that call. By your spirit and in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.